Welcome to Thrive Deeper, the show based on the Thrive Bible Reading Guides. This is an ongoing conversation about God's Word with Thrive's author, Dr. Matthew Jacoby, and your host, DJ Payne. G'day and welcome to Thrive Deeper, episode 96. It's your good old pal DJ Payne here. And on this episode of your favourite Bible reading podcast, Matthew Jacoby and myself go through the book of Revelation, chapters 2 and 3 and 4 and 5. We finish off the look of the letters to the seven churches from Jesus Christ himself. Oh boy, get that, get ready for that to impact your heart. And then, if it doesn't get better than this, we head to heaven and see a scene of heaven itself in chapters four and five. This is epic stuff. So grab that Bible, grab that notebook and pen and uh, your copy of the Thrive Daily Reading Guide and let's go through the book of of Revelation. Stay tuned, it's all happening on this week's Thrive Deeper. Matthew, we've just gone through a whole bunch of paperwork and <laughs> admin, which is your favourite thing to do. If you could see Matthew's face by the time we finish working out <laughs> schedules and paperwork, he's like, enough, enough, I just want to get into the Bible. Yep. <laughs> Was it was it really that obvious? <laughs> just a tad, just a tad. Uh, but it, it, look, it is a busy time of the year. We have got a lot of admin on. We just want to pre- th- say thank you and appreciate everybody who sends us emails and messages, uh, whether people who've, who've contacted us and said, look, they want to be part of the advance party. They appreciate what they're doing and do different questions like that. We want to say a massive thank you. We're actually getting to the place now, believe it or not, I don't think we've got time to read out everybody's thank yous and, and, and stuff like that. You know, but the, we appreciate the, yeah, but the please, feedback. Oh, it really is encouraging. Now, want, and again, just in the process here, I literally print out copies of the emails and mm. forward on emails. So Matthew sees them all. I yeah. will reply to you and occasionally Matthew might might you know might reply to one. But we just want to assure everybody we get it, we get them all, we read them all, we really appreciate the mm. emails Very through. Much so. Thank you. Uh, so so thank you so much for that. And uh, we're getting some great feedback uh, from Thrive Perspectives. Uh, as well with the you know the series that we're doing there, uh, and also of course with you know people getting right into the Book of Revelation, is what this is all about. So we're we're here, um, uh, episode ninety six. The only other admin I wanted to say about this bit of housekeeping is, in four more episodes, it's episode one hundred, mm. and we know that there's nothing like super spiritual about big round numbers. But, you know, we're going to celebrate 100 episodes by doing a live stream of the podcast. We're going to record two podcasts in a session, one Thrive Deeper for episode 100 and one Thrive Perspectives. We don't know the topic yet in Thrive Perspectives that we'll do, but we would love to get you involved in a live, maybe a Zoom. Everyone loves their Zoom meetings at the moment. (laughs) 
<laughs> Sounds like fun. Yeah, he says through gritted teeth over there. Okay, so we are in the book of Revelation. Last week we sort of covered the, you know, the, you know, the the, the ground of it all. We looked mm. at the setting of it all, and we were about halfway through this, uh, you know, this book of, you know, this, uh, you know, the letters to the seven churches, yep. right? What Jesus is speaking. So, in light of the overview of the book of Revelation, Jesus tells uh, John to write what he has seen. What, you know, you know what he's yep. seeing, and so he's doing that. What is happening, you know, now, yeah, and what is to come. That's right. So in in Revelation two and three, in the seven letters to the churches, that's what's happening now. Jesus is addressing what's happening. Yeah. Well, here. the um the pattern here, I think, is significant in that uh, he is answering the burning question of these Christians uh, who are under severe persecution. They're wondering when is God going to come and do something about all of this. We're suffering here. You can imagine what this situation would be like. I mean, it's, it's ha- actually hard for us to imagine, yeah. but we can try to imagine how how traumatic it would be to be suffering such persecution, waiting for God to actually do something. When is God going to bring justice and vindicate us? Yeah. And Revelation is the answer to that. It's, I guess, it's comfort to them because it's showing them what's happening, that you are actually part of a greater cosmic struggle. So it's like a heavenly perspective on what is actually happening to them. It's like physically it might seem that you're losing a physical battle, but in fact you're winning a spiritual battle. Because, you know, that, that picture, we're going to see a picture of the martyrs under the altar. It's yeah. like just because they kill them, well, um, it's like their blood cries out to heaven and there's, a, there's oh. a victory even in their martyrdom. And, I mean, the word martyr comes from the word witness. They are witnesses. They bear witness. And so there's a sense of victory in what looks like we're losing what looks like failure in a worldly sense actually is victory because it's being cast within this heavenly perspective and that's what's happening there in the book of Revelation. And uh, the the heavenly perspective is, and we're going to move into that heavenly perspective in a moment. Yeah. Um, So we'll say more about that later on. But the important thing is before addressing how God is going to deal with the evil that's going on around them, Jesus first comes to them and deals with the evil in them, in their midst. So he comes first to them. And this is really important because judgment here begins in the church. Judgment begins in the church. Amen. Because this is, in a sense, a mirror image of God coming to, you know, when the world goes awry and everything goes wrong, uh, the serpent has his way. God, in Genesis chapter 3, God comes to man and says, what is, what is this that you've done? Yep. Calls him to account. Well, here uh, Jesus comes to the church and says, okay, we're going to deal with the things that are wrong with you first. Another parallel to this is the uh, time of Joshua when they're about to move in to conquer the land. Yes. And Joshua has that festival of consecration. Consecrate yourselves mm. for we're about to see God doing great things and um, this is this is God saying to His church, consecrate yourselves, deal, focus on the evil in you, not the evil around you, and, and that's very we we have a hard time with that. It's it's mm. a contrary to human, yeah. You know the human perspective. <clears throat> it's so hard for us to see when we're at fault, and our, our first reaction, and, and it seems to be. For those of us who've travelled down the the road a longer time, yeah, as far as being a Christian for a longer yep. time, 
all of a sudden we get ourselves trapped into a place where we feel that we're holy and we're better than everybody else. And it's our job to point the finger at the world to say that they're bad. Yeah. Which and is, they need to change. Which is a terrible posture. Yeah. Because we need to be the we need to be the leaders. We need to take the lead in the kind of posture that leads to salvation. That is the posture of repentance. Mm. And so we need to be in this continual process. Remember. Repentance is a continual uh, process, not just something you do once yes. when you when you come to faith. So, uh, as as Christians, you know, we need to demonstrate a lifestyle of um, of growth, of being honest with our failures, of growing up into the people that God wants us to be. We need to recognise that, in important senses, we're in the same boat as everyone else, but uh, but that we are forgiven, that we have been, our hearts have been. Regenerated by the Holy Spirit, yeah. and but you know we are we're still in some ways in the same boat, and yeah. so there's not um, there's not that sense of us speaking to people from a moral high horse, no, in that sense. And and I and I think that that point that you've made, Matt, there, and, the, and the, what we're talking about, it is so rich in these two chapters of chapters two and three yeah. of Christ speaking to the seven churches. Now, yeah. important little asterisk here, and we talked a little bit about it last week, is that these are, these are at the time of writing, seven existing churches. Yeah. Um, you know that that existed in what we now call Asia Minor. Yep. You know, around around the coast there, which is present day Turkey. Yeah, so all up and down the coast mm. there. You know, there's a bit of a circuit there. Those seven churches, they, they're they are a cross section though. They're not. It's not just. Oh, they're just for these seven churches. No. I think this is the fact that it's seven means that it's it's something actually that's intended for all of the churches. So is at it that another, time. another way to say it, and this is what I was about to say, is seven existing churches there at the time, this is what I love about prophecy and I love about yeah. the, the Word of God. It's applicable to those particular seven churches right there, <clears throat> but it's also at, at any time in human history, including today in 2020 or any time of the future when you're listening to this or when you're reading the Word of God, those seven ch- churches are almost like archetypes or prototypes or you know just types mm. or whatever uh, that are existing concurrently through history concurrently in the one church can 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 display different things there's no point i think in a church going well <laughs> we're not we're not in ephesus yeah we're not the church of ephesus this i could skip this to the next you know th- th- I think every letter to the church should be read by every church and applied to every church all the time. Yeah, I think they're they are a cross section, and and in some ways they're an example of what to do and what not to do. Yeah, and so they're they're kind of used as examples of what Jesus would and does say. Yeah, in in these kinds of situations. Yeah. Now they were written to actually those as we've you've yes. just said. Yes, they were those actual churches. But the message really is intended to go beyond those churches to all the church. Yeah. So the key, one of the key interesting things here, to go back to something you mentioned before about the tendency to point the finger outwards, the interesting pattern here is that there is this sense here that God is saying, you're going to need to tolerate the evil that is around you. You're going to need to bear with that. What you should not tolerate is evil within you. Yeah. And he, oh boy, does you know, he have some hard words about that? Because I think we, we can we can go the other way around. We can say, no, we're not going to tolerate evil. And I say, yes, amen. And then, but what we do is we flip that so it's like we're not tolerating the evil in other people. 
when actually, no, we actually do live in a world in which people are going to do the wrong thing. Yes. And we need to bear with that and they need to do the wrong thing to us and we actually need to bear with it. What we should not tolerate is evil in within us and yeah. even uh, in some senses within our midst. Although I, I would put um, a qualifier on that to say that even in churches where evil is done, there's always a sense of grace around that. Yeah. We call it what it what it is, but there's a sense of uh, of grace and restoration around that. So, um, uh, so that's an interesting perspective when it yeah. comes to tolerance. Um, they're being called to essentially tolerate what's out there, but not tolerate that infiltrating and contaminating what's in here. Yeah, see what I mean? And, and important you, point. Oh, very important point. Can I? Can I? And I want to. I want to expand on that. Uh, you know what? What we are to not tolerate and tolerate. But I've, I had a revelation reading through it yet again, reading through through these books yet again and listening to them again and again. I realised that I have always, I don't know if it's the preaching that I've grown up on under, and, I, and I, the best way to symbolise this for me, right, the best way to symbolise it, and I think the verse that unlocked sort of like it was like a oh, moment for me was Jesus saying the classic, you know, I stand at the door at knock. Yeah. You know, any man, you know, you know, open the door. Yeah. I want to come in and have dinner with you. I've always heard that preach, and and you know, in a multiple multiple different ways. But we, I have a tendency of reading these. I, this is what I realized in reading that verse. I have a tendency of reading these two letters to the churches and applying it to DJ Payne. Uh, the seven letters to the church. Sorry, so the yeah, seven yeah. letters to the church. Yeah. Sorry, I read these seven letters to yeah. the seven churches, and I go, <laughs> okay, how does this apply to me? Yeah. in my life, and and I and I think that's a, an appropriate way to read yeah. read yeah. it. But in that door knocking, I went, oh, he's not knocking at my heart's door. Mm. He's knocking mm. on the door of the church. Yeah. He's, well, he's, he is in a sense doing both in, in some but, senses. But you're, you're very right because we naturally are inclined to think individualistically, aren't we? Totally. And, I, and then I went, oh, and I stopped and read them all again. And I was like, no, Jesus yeah. is speaking to the churches. Yeah. He's, yeah. he's saying, I want to come in and be part of your church, but you've kept me outside yeah. here. It's really interesting how Scripture operates like that, and, and we tend not to notice because we just apply everything automatically to me. <laughs> but a God always deals with us in the context of family. Always. He addresses his family. And there's a strong sense in which individually we cannot be who God wants us to be just in and of ourselves. We actually need to think of ourselves um, as part of something bigger. And, you know, there's that saying, when the tide rises, all the boats float. Yes. And what God wants, it's what God wants to do corporately that will benefit me personally. Yeah. So, so this is why, for me, I'm very passionate about praying into what God wants to do in the church because I want to experience the fullness of what I can experience of my relationship with God. But I'm... I'm dependent in some senses in what God does in the church because I know, like, I want the tide to rise, right? I want more of God, but for that, I have to think in terms of we. Yeah. And so so I therefore pray into what God is doing in the church. I pray for the tide to rise because this boat, me, will float as well as everyone else. Yeah. 
And that's, again, a contrary thing to our hearts, to the yeah. way that we think. I don't know if it's the culture that we – I think it's the Western culture that we've been raised in where we're uh, autonomous and where the, you know, yeah. the follow your own dream and lead your own life and you're the boss and you're it's the greatest thing. And, yeah. and, every, a- and like this, and, we, and I end up reading these passages again going, hang on, it's not all about me. This is about the church that yeah. I'm in. And it makes me invested into the church in a way that I – I, it feels uncomfortable to me. Yeah, because a, a lot of things about Scripture don't make sense from our individual individualistic perspective. Um, so let me just be clear. God acknowledges our individuality. Yeah. Doesn't smudge that. But individualism is this I, me isolating. It's about me. I am the centre of my universe. Um, a lot of things just don't make sense in Scripture against that. Like the fact that... Uh, one person, you know, like the story of Achan in the book of Joshua, mm-hmm. one person sins against God and everyone uh, bears the consequences. That just doesn't seem fair, but that's because we're thinking from an individualistic perspective yep. when actually God thinks in terms of family. So um, this idea, you know, the where God says um, punishing, sin to the, punishing sin to the third and fourth generation in Exodus uh, 34, you know, and this idea that I can do something that has multi-generational consequences is really for us. Oh, and, and again, we've talked about this in the past. Not that God punishes people for this one person for the sins of another. That's not yep. what's happening. Yep. But there is a sense in which we are all connected in the one community. So if one person goes wrong, we all go wrong in some sense. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's it's because we're responsible yeah, for each and, other, and this is what you see happening in the seven churches. Yeah. It's not that everyone was into these things that they're castigated for, but the fact that these things were allowed to exist meant that they are all held accountable. Yes, and now you're bringing it full circle back to the point that we you were making before: what we tolerate within the church. Yeah, that's right. You no, know, this is all about tolerating within the church now. Brings us back to the actual letters. And, and there's a few of the letters, I would say three or four of the letters in particular, that talks about Jesus is obviously very particular, much more than we are, yeah. about the what we're tolerating as far as the teaching in the church. Yeah. And there seems to be a type of false teaching or a type of false teacher that is the most re- reprehensible to, to, mm. to Christ. It, it's represented in, in, in again, in these Old Testament yep. words and languages and stuff like that. We've got Jezebel, you know, we've yeah. got, you know, the synagogue of Satan. We've got, uh, you know, the Nicolaitans are mentioned a couple of times, and that's an interesting study in and yep. of itself. But it all seems to be. It talks about the sin of Balaam who enticed uh, the Israelites. And it's based around this type of. Sexual sin or a sexual, you know, abuse of grace that leads to this type of sin, that seems to be a type of a type of uh, issue that was happening in the churches that Christ particularly wants to put his finger on. Yeah, so there's enormous influence from the um, sort of Greco-Roman cults that were built up in these cities. Enormous influence. I mean, this is what everyone's talking about. It, it's difficult not to fit in. It's difficult to be on the outer. You become a Christian, suddenly you're not a part of things that everyone's getting into and that's just normal. And and, so- and, and But I want you, Matt, I want you to paint a picture because a lot of people don't understand 
when you say cults in in the Roman times and, and, and you know these cults that were happening around the early church, yeah. we're not talking about cults rising out of the church. We're talking about the influence of the Roman religion around them yeah. and the practices they got up to. It was incredibly sexualized. Yeah. yeah so you had um, cult uh, cultic prostitution was a big aspect uh, of that. That was associated with fertility. Fertility is a big uh, concern here. So fertility for the land, fertility for you as a family. Um, You were assured fertility through this, you know, through sexual contact with these cult prostitutes and so forth. And so um, this becomes an enormous temptation. And in a sense, this nothing really changes, does it? This is, this is always, you know, I think that these undermining factors, the things that he points out here, and it's not just, it's not just theoretical false teaching. It's, um, I mean, look, throughout the Old Testament, sorry, throughout the New Testament, there is a, a concern with false teaching, yes. even, actually even at a theoretical level. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, whoever does not acknowledge that Jesus has come in the flesh, you know, John yep. is very, cons- well, I mean, we would say, gee, that's an abstract, you know, does it really matter if if, if Jesus had a real yep. body or not? You know, isn't, isn't that just a theological thing and everyone can believe what they want? Uh, no. Yeah. <laughs> no, because it actually really matters what yes. we believe actually matters. Mm. This spiritual battle that we're going to see here in the book of Revelation, is a battle between truth and lie. Mm. You know, the devil is characterised as a liar, mm. okay? So he wants to twist beliefs into, into things that simply are not true and that changes the way that we see Christ, that changes the way that we see the Holy Spirit, that we see God the Father, that changes this, right? And this, yeah. is, really, um, this is really crucial then that on the one hand, we strive to maintain the historic biblical faith, this is what they're saying here. Yeah. But also what is not being tolerated here is uh, a culture in which certain practices are seen as being, ah, yeah, that's fine, it's okay. They're just, you know, um, just to, look, everyone's doing this, everyone's involved in that, it's not that bad. Well, this is saying, no, these sexualized cults are actually infiltrating the church and undermining these churches spiritually. That actually the defences, it's like, because again, what's pictured in Revelation is a spiritual battle. Yes. And these guys, these people might say, oh, look, it's not really hurting anyone. Um, You know, I know, but you're not considering the fact that there is a spiritual battle and you are opening the door to spiritual influences here that that is going to infiltrate your churches, it's going to infiltrate your families. You know, the, the, I think one of the big equivalents to this today, if, if I, if we're to apply some of this, is the prevalence of pornography in our culture, Amen. the sexualization of uh, of women, and of pretty much everything actually, but not just of women, exactly. but of everything, and and, and, the, and the confusion of gender, the confusion of you know what's appropriate, you know, relationships, blurring all sorts of lines, blurring there. those lines, yeah, and um, so, uh, and I think this is a really undermining factor. I think when we open the door to these kinds of things. You know, just because it's something that you do uh, in um, 
you know, in private and, you you know, someone listening might say, be saying to themselves, oh, there's nothing, you know, it's, I'm, not it's hurting just, I'm not hurting anyone. No one really, no, actually you're opening the door to, there is a spiritual battle going on here and you are opening the door to influences and that it, are going to infiltrate and destroy. And it also brings it back again. It brings it back to that thinking that is really rocking my little universe of you're not an individual. Yep. You, I mean, in one sense, yeah, mm. you stand before God by yourself, you make account yeah, for what you've right. done. That's right. It's not just about you, but it's not just about you. You are part of a body, and for you to have this attitude of, "Oh, look, I can do this sexual sin over here. I can confuse this over here." Yeah. Well, it has ramifications for everybody that's else, right? Whether or not you like to admit it that's or not. Right. You've got to think of yourself as like a porthole in a ship. I mean, I'm going to use this because I was brought up in a ship. I just realised that it's perhaps not a clear illustration for other people, but. Look, I'm committed to it now. You're like portholes in a ship. You know, imagine a ship and portholes along the side. You know, when when I was growing up, you know, on a ship, like uh, leaving your porthole open when you went to sleep is a big no-no because you don't know what weather's going to come up. You know, I remember once leaving my porthole open and getting absolutely drenched. And um, and the thing is, it's not even just about me getting drenched. It's the fact is, if I leave my porthole open and and we go into a storm, the ship's going to take lots of water. Because, and in a sense, we are those portholes. As wow. we, we are the portholes of the church, because the I church like that is illustration. us. That's a good illustration. Yeah. Who, what is the church? The church isn't some institution, an I abstract mean. institution. It's actually people. We are members of the church, and each one of us, uh, if we open the door in some way to to the enemy, then the door is open, and eventually the ship takes on water in yeah. that sense and it undermines everything. So, so to wrap this up, because I, I, I spent a long time going down this road here and I just want to touch on it briefly. <laughs> there seems to be a pattern here. You know, Jesus mentions the Nicolaitans, a lot of – we don't know exactly what was taught around that. Yeah. Some of the early church fathers write about that this is actually one of the leaders from Jerusalem, uh, Nicholas, who ended up in the later stage of his life um, – uh, believing that grace was so sufficient that he could enter back into a sexual you know promiscuous mm. lifestyle and it seems to be that pattern with what what Jesus is talking about with throwing in Jezebel with throwing in Balaam with yep. throwing in these ideas it is definitely an idea around what is permissible when it comes to sexuality in false teaching yeah so it's interesting the way that they these are all characterized because it refers to Jezebel refers to Balaam it's things of that type. Yeah. It's basically, because again, actually the, the issue here, it's actually not just about sexual ethics. This is about idolatry is the concern here. And that's uh, why, idolatry. And that's why, and that's why he- Going he, back to my illustration of, the, of leaving a porthole open, it's not just, that actually becomes a gateway through which essentially our spiritual enemy gains a foothold. In yeah. the church. Yeah. like, And that's why you, you think, because I was reading it and I was really trying to pull apart every part, and Jesus really getting bent out of shape about food offered to idols. Yeah. And then I was like, hang on, Paul sort of said it was no big deal. Yeah. But then Jesus is like, whoa, you, like he really is coming down on it. And I'm like, hang on, there's something deeper going on about this food offered yeah, to idols. It's part of something bigger yeah, in, in, that, yeah. in that case. Yeah. Because yeah. you're right, Paul says that's nothing, you know, but- in this case, yes. in, uh, that is being referred to in these letters, it is part of something bigger. Now, lastly, as we yep. wrap up this talk about, uh, you know, we've got to get into the next uh, couple of chapters here. We're, yep. we're, we're, we're finishing off chapters two and three, the letters to the churches. I just, I need to say one more time, this is just, I've been rereading and re-listening to these two 
two chapters over and over again, and it has been such an amazing time. Oh, it's, it's oh, look to, to me. It's always been one of the most convicting parts yes. of scripture in a really good way. And it, it, like, and, for, and if you're sitting there in your spiritual walk saying, "I don't know what God's trying to tell me. I don't feel like God's talking to me. I don't." I've, you want to know what God's telling you? He's written seven letters to you. Yeah. They're in the book of Revelation, yeah. chapter two or three. Now, a lot of people, a lot of people, and this is the culture that we live in, really go to town on the church of Laodicea. Yeah. Because in that in that out view where they're looking at the churches as far as time periods, they would see, okay, the later church, the end of the church, mm. the end of the church age, however you want to call about it, is this Laodicean church. It's really weak. It's, you know, anemic. Yep. It's faulting. It's falling away. It's the end of the age. The elect can be all these mm. type of prophecies and everything coming up, coming to culmination here with the Laodicean church. Any, any comment on that? Um, well, this one, this is an interesting one. In fact, I've um, this is what I'm preaching on this weekend. So, <laughs> so as you're listening to this, this is what I preached on last weekend. Yes. Of course, because we're working a week ahead here. Um, so, I mean, that, that might be worth if if you're interested uh, on yes. a sermon on the church to later see. That's what I've just uh, preached on. Now, um, the interesting thing, one of the reasons that I chose this of the seven letters um, to to preach on is that it in many ways it's the most polarized letter on the one hand it's it's got the harshest um rebukes oh. in it Oof. but at the same time it's got some of the most tender expressions of love in it mm. both of those things you know it says in the middle of it you know those whom i love i rebuke and discipline and and he, and the, there's so much promise you know the promises that are reiterated in this yeah. are such grand promises so it has this twofold element of um, harsh rebuke, but harsh rebuke because he loves them so much. And that's what I I love about this letter. You know, the church of Laodicea is in a – in a difficult situation. It was a prosperous city. Uh, I mean, they they were – uh, producers of a number of different kind of products yes. that were eagerly sought out. Uh, one of which actually was a kind of a, a, a ointment, and it refers in there to yeah. salve for yeah. your eyes. Yeah. Uh, the other thing is they had a aqueducts that came from along actually from volcanic water, access volcanic water. And by the time it got to the city, it was well, it wasn't cold and it wasn't hot anymore, yeah. uh, and. So it was this lukewarm tasteless, water. horrible, lukewarm water. And, and so Jesus here is kind of using that as an illustration. So, um, yeah, also I think because of the relative affluence, uh, the, church, the letter to the church in Laodicea I think also is one of the most relevant. I think they're all relevant to us, but I think particularly this letter is, is relevant to our situation as such. Just because of the content in it, or is it anything inherently you know you feel about the seven churches that this one is particularly anything to... inherently? Yeah. In, um, well, I think it's it's their affluence. I think the tendency uh, to become complacent in affluence. Yeah. It, I think a lot of things kind of flow from that. So um, okay. Yeah, I hesitate to focus too much on this one because I think. There's something in all of these letters Amen. for all of us, and I'd probably want to emphasize that more than anything. All right, let's take a quick break, and we'll be back, and we'll actually get into the next couple of chapters, yeah. an amazing scene mm. in heaven with John here on Thrive Deeper.
Hey there, Thrive family. It's DJ here, and I hate to interrupt this discussion on the book of Revelation. What an amazing book this is. Oh, it has impacted my own personal life so much in the last couple of months reading through and studying it. But I wanted to tell you about a couple of things really quickly. Thrive Deeper, the podcast that you're listening to right now, Thrive Deeper, the show that you love, that you're subscribed to, has a sister podcast. That's right. Matt and I do a completely other podcast. You're not going to get it in the feed here. If you've subscribed to this one, you're not automatically going to get the other one. The other one is Thrive Perspectives. Now, Thrive Deeper, obviously, we're up to episode 96, just a few episodes away from 100. And we're planning on doing a special live episode that you can tune in and take part in live via Zoom streaming online. But uh, we want to let you know to subscribe to Thrive Perspectives. Thrive Perspectives is up to its ninth episode, and it's completely different. Well, it's Matthew and I talking still, but it's completely different, as in we're not doing a Bible study. We're going through massive issues that face and shape Christian thought. Now, we've just recorded an episode, and I tell you what, this one might be a little bit too hot to touch. On Thrive Perspectives, the next Thrive Perspectives is all about sex, sexuality, and gender. The number one most requested topic for Matthew and I to talk about from the entire Thrive audience is sexuality, sex, and gender. Well, we finally did it. We sat down and went through the topics in detail. In in the words of Matthew Jacoby, we're not dancing around this. Let's talk about it. So that's on the next episode of Thrive Perspectives. Make sure you are subscribed. The easiest way to do that in whatever uh, podcasting app that you love and listen to, whether that's in Apple Music, Spotify, Google Podcasts, whatever it is that you like to listen listen to your podcasts in, search for Thrive Perspectives and you'll find it right there and subscribe. You've got all the links happening over at thrivetoday.tv. That's thrivetoday.tv. TV. Do not miss out on Thrive Perspectives. It's a wealth of information. And if you are already subscribed and you're letting us know how much you love it, thank you so much. We really appreciate the encouragement. All right, that's enough from me. Let's get back into the book of Revelation as we head to heaven here on Thrive Deeper. Deeper, episode 96, and we're moving through the book of Revelation. Let's uh, change a couple of gears up here, Matt. We need to move a bit faster. We want to get through in this next part of the show, chapters 4 and 5 of the book of Revelation. And this is where, in the overview of the book of Revelation, where Jesus says to John to write, you know, what is happening now, and then what is to, you know, what is to come. John is called up Mm. into, into, uh, you know, into heaven itself. Yeah. And just like he says at the beginning of the book, he was in the spirit, meaning that this is a supernatural thing. It's not a dream. It's not a vision. He's in the spirit in heaven, powered by the Holy Spirit, however that means, to see what is going on. And Mm. oh my goodness, what a vision. 
Yeah, and I think it's good to keep in mind that at this stage, in the, uh, this is still the early stages of the church, you know, John's seeing these visions, so um, he is writing down what he sees, yes. he's describing what he sees, so, and he's seeing these things, you know, where the late first century, uh, a, a big part of the early Christian church is Jewish, so there's a strong uh, sense of resonance that all of this has with the Old Testament, with the Scriptures, something that, by the way, Christians... Uh, the new Christians, even uh, non-Jewish Christians, were encouraged to immerse themselves in the, the Old Testament. But of course, if you're a Jewish reader, you're just naturally immersed in this stuff. Yeah, and this speaks loudly to that context. So when John says he's uh, taken up in the Spirit, you straight away you're thinking of Ezekiel. Yeah, this is an Ezekiel moment here, and and the way that this is characterized, and the the greatest. Prophets actually begin their ministries with these great visions of heaven yes. because they are having a heavenly message delivered to them. And so it begins often, you see this in Ezekiel, we see it in Isaiah, you know, uh, he was high and lifted up the train of his robe, filled the temple and, yes. and you know, Ezekiel and there's the living creatures and we see these living creatures Again, as well in yeah. Isaiah yeah. as well. And we're going to see all of that here, all of the elements, there's this... Um, kind of combination of Ezekiel chapter 1 and chapter chapter 10 and Isaiah chapter 6, yeah. these kind of living creatures that are symbolic of, um, so for example, it says in chapter 7 uh, that there was this living creature that was was like an, a lion. Sorry, chapter like, four, verse seven. Chapter four, verse seven. Yeah. First living creature was like a lion. Another was like an ox. Uh, had the face of a man. The fourth was like a flying eagle. So lion, ox, man, eagle. Yep. You know, six wings, like we see in Isaiah. Yeah, you yeah. know, with two they cover their face. That's right. Two, yeah. So they know. stand for the four kind of elements of you know flying things, wild animals, domesticated animals, and human beings. <laughs> So all of representing all of creation in a sense, and I, and I love the fact that over the years, and there's so much rich, so much rich symbology in this yeah. that I would say that you know if you can interpret within the scripture, as in like what yeah. what these what these are you know meanings are within the scripture and stuff and stuff. There's depth to be able to do that. Oh, yeah, you know yeah. what I mean? Like because I love the fact that people have gone and they've and they've laid uh, these four living el- the, the four living things yeah. with the four faces from Ezekiel and here in Revelation against the four gospels and gone right. Yeah. The gospel tells the story of Jesus like high and lifted up, da da da, like a man, like in a, you know type of thing. And I know that I know you're artificial. I know you're looking at me about like that. <laughs> but the thing that I like about symbology in here yeah. is it's rich <clears> enough. You're not. You're not. It's like you say. It's loose, but you're not crowbarring or changing the meaning around that. I think it's a beautiful way to see other parts of the scripture through these four living. You know what, what I mean? Like through these through these elements. Here. Yeah, yeah. So, so, and the point is, we've seen these things before. Okay. Yeah. So, this it this is as I said to you. You could put in one column Revelation, in another yeah. column all the scriptures that it alludes to yes. and you'd have a really thick column yeah. there on the left, you know, <laughs> uh, with all of those scriptures that are yeah. behind the book of Revelation. Yeah. So the, the idea here is Revelation is the consummation of everything that's come before. Yes. That's the key idea here. Yeah. So, um, so John has then a vision that is the combination, because this is a consummate vision, it then is a combination of 
Ezekiel, yeah. Isaiah, these great visions that have happened before. Yeah. So he sees, he says, come up here and I'll show you is in the spirit. Okay, yeah. this is a this is one of those experiences a you know a biblically literate reader will say. He sees this vision um, of uh, um, the, the, the throne. throne of God, you know, and uh, in this, this br- brilliant colours and, you know, with someone sitting on it. Now, it's not just because, again, God is beyond description. Yep. Uh, surrounding the throne are 24 other thrones and seated on the 24 elders. And you're probably talking there a combination of Old and New Testament, Old Testament Israel and New Testament church. Yes. Um, you know, the 12 tribes of Israel and the 12 apostles is a good, uh, I think. But we don't know. We don't exactly know. Yeah. But, you know, that's quite a common suggestion yeah. uh, for this. Yeah. I, I mean, there's two schools of thought. I don't want to push back on that. Yeah. There's two schools two schools of thought of this one. Because they're clothed in white and they're sitting with Christ and everything yeah. like that, a lot of the, I think the early church actually thought of, like this is a vision of the church in heaven. Yes. You know what uh, I mean? Like yep. the, the 24 elders represent the new you know, the new church age type of thing in there. Yeah, but the fact that there's 24 oh, there's and a, it's the double 12 thing. Definitely. So so the, the thing is they represent all, this is all the saints that have lived from, yes. you know, yep. the beginning. So uh, I think that's probably as good a suggestion as any. But wouldn't it, wouldn't we, wouldn't it be great? Wouldn't it be great? Bear with me for this stupid yep. thought here, Matt. I know, I know you want to fly through this. <laughs> wouldn't it be great if they were 24 random believers, random Christians through the last, you know, through yeah. the church age yeah. that we've never heard of before. Yeah, that would be great. That were just saints that Jesus, you know, that were really, you know, yeah. people who live their life for God and Jesus said, right, you get to sit on this throne. That would be great. And we don't, we've never heard of them before. <laughs> They're not named. We don't know anybody, anything like Again, I'm just yeah. throwing it out there. I, I love the fact that, I mean, it's it's got – Things that we've seen before. So the seven, you know, uh, these are the seven spirits of God. It talks yep. about seven spirits of God. Most probably because it's sitting there in between a reference to the Father and the Son. It's yes. probably what we've seen before, the sevenfold spirit. It's yes. a way of talking about the spirit of God. Um, and I love the fact that here there is this vision of the throne and around the throne is what look. He says it was what looked like a sea of glass clear as crystal. I love this because of the symbolism throughout the Old Testament, This, in the, and particularly in the ancient world, this association with the ocean, the heaving, tossing waves of the ocean, with the forces of chaos and death. Yeah. And, um, you know, from the beginning in Genesis chapter 1, when God brings order to that watery chaos, uh, the holding back of the sea in in Exodus yep. is Israelites walking through the sea. This is the forces of chaos. I love the fact here that in the presence of God, the chaos is absolutely subdued, perfectly subdued. It's just a beautiful picture yeah. here in in uh, Revelation. It, it is. It is with the crystal glass. We we get introduced, uh, and we're going to see a few of these uh, the songs of worship in yep. heaven. Yeah, we we hear you know whether it's the uh, the you know the beings or the elders singing these songs yeah. continually, this continual yeah. worship in heaven, uh, you know, giving God honor and worthy and declaring holy, 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 and this is uh, a way of declaring a superlative that um, it's it's a 
well, yeah, it's the ultimate superlative yeah. to repeat something three times. God is not just holy; He is holy, holy, holy. Yeah, and there's you know there's elements of the, tr- the you know the triuneness of God there. Yeah. There's you know all all, all perfect. Yeah, you know. and and I think again as we move into chapter five, yeah, um, this picture of the twenty four elders that who are falling down and they are laying their crowns before God. You know, there's this sense that every everything that we have received, all authority that we have received, actually is derived from you. Yeah. It's a beautiful picture here. Yeah, yeah. So let's move into chapter five yeah. now, because this we, it's almost like you know, in the movie of this, we get this beautiful scene. We get this, you know, heightened sense of just perfectness and you know, glory, and then all of a sudden, the drama is introduced. Ah, uh, yeah. And the drama is the <clears throat> scroll. Yeah. Now, 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 a scroll can mean a lot of things. This introduction to the to a scroll today, we would think of a scroll like a prop or doesn't really mean anything. What yeah. does a scroll mean? Well, this is an official document because it's sealed, and and particularly important uh, documents in the ancient world were sealed with multiple seals. Yes. And this is this has got seven seals on it. Okay. So it must be really yeah. important. Now. Just a little bit of context here. So chapter five of Revelation basically is going to portray the transfer of authority from God to the Lamb. We're going to meet the Lamb in a moment. So from the centre of the throne, God and the Lamb are from here going to direct the judgment that is poured down upon the, the earth, okay? Yep. So um, so the first thing that's going to happen is that God transfers the scroll from his right hand to the Lamb, now, here is the picture. So the scroll represents God's judgment upon man, like God's verdict. It's like the unfolding of God's plan, it, yep. you know, the, the finalising of God's plan. Yeah. And again, it's important to note that in, in, the, in, the, in the time that these people were reading it, when they heard scroll, they thought of, and especially an official document like yeah. this with multiple seals on it, it was a contract. Yep. It could be a marriage contract. <laughs> yeah. It could be, and a marriage contract or a deed yeah. had a lot of writing and signatures on the inside that yeah. had all the things, and on the outside of the scroll was a summation or a title yeah, of what was right. on it, and then over that was the seals yeah, that's right. and more signatures. So all of those things about a deed of rights, yeah. you know, an agreement, a contract, a marriage letter, all of these things are symbolised in this scroll. That's right. Which is, like you say, the culmination of yeah, everything. It's like a last will and testament. You know, I'm handing this down. This is what needs to be done. But who who receives that? It's like with the last will and testament. I mean, who is the beneficiary uh, of that? Who And, and the question here- um, Who you, is worthy? It, yeah, it's like, who is worthy to open the scroll? And it says here, but no one on- in heaven or earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look. So no one is worthy because everyone has, in a sense, come under the judgment and no one is worthy to actually implement the judgment. So um, it says, and and I I love this bit here where it says, John speaking, says, I wept and wept (laughs) because no one was found who was worthy to open this. Now, why did he weep? Because, you know. He wanted to know, like, this is. The next thing. This is the unfolding of God's plan. Yeah. yeah. So, because he's thinking, he's weeping because God's saying, I want to do this on the earth. Yeah, but no one's worthy. So, yeah. so John's thinking, oh, no. Yeah. So we've lost. And, so and, the, and, the plan of God is is not going to go ahead. Yeah, and in in the context of John is seeing, you know, not just any angel, it's described here a strong angel. There's illusions with that uh 
you know, going back to Daniel when the angel of Gabriel introduces yeah. himself, that Jewish, the Jewish, uh, you know, tradition is that Gabriel means the strong one of God, yeah. you know, type of thing. So when he calls the strong angel, could this be the angel of Gabriel saying, who is worthy to have this yeah. final? And again, if you if you think of that in context of Gabriel delivering it to Daniel, Daniel having the future vision of yeah. of 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 you know prophecy and everything, it's like this final step. Who is worthy to get it going? That's right. And, and, and John is shattered yeah, because he thinks it all stops here. He yeah. thinks that judgment now, this is because there's this sense that he's in at the throne of God and God's judgment is, uh, oh, yeah, I'm giving up on mankind because there's no one worthy on earth to actually Execute open it. the scroll so that my plan can be unfold, wow. you know, unfolded on the earth. Wow. Um, and, you know, like the... the like the evil are going to get away with what they've done. It's, it's yeah. all just going to now go um, to hell in a handbasket, yeah. so they say, although not as John wants. <laughs> but then one of the elders says here in verse 5, said to me, do not weep. See the line of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Wow. And so he goes, turns around to look for a lion the line of the line, the line of the, tribe of, the of tribe of judah so that's a real military kind of yep. uh, coming from i think genesis uh the, the latter chapters of genesis yes. um he turns around and what does he see he sees a lamb that had been slain yeah oof i mean oh so in other words the the line of the tribe of judah this victorious kind of picture is and this of course where C.S. Lewis gets uh, gets that from uh, the line of the tribe of Judah. His military strength comes from his having been slain like a lamb, and it's because of the fact that he was slain as a lamb that he is worthy then to to open the scroll because he is identified with mankind and he is able then to again because remember mankind was given authority on earth, so that's why God is concerned is. Is there anyone yeah. worthy to open the scroll? Well, Jesus can say, I have, you know, yeah. he is the only yeah. one worthy because he has become a man and paid in, in his sacrifice. And, and, and this is so rich. In so Every word is like a rich thing. Yeah. This lamb that is visibly, you have seen it as being killed, but it is living, is standing before God and the living creatures. But between God and the 24 elders, yeah. there is the lamb who has been slain. He is in between yeah. God and the, and the, and the, and yeah. the 24 <laughs> elders. And he, he is right in the middle of it all. And, you know, you know with, his, with, the, with the, you know, the spirit of God, uh, he is perfect yeah. because he has seven horns, you know, which is representation yeah. of yeah. power yeah. and seven. Seven eyes. He has perfect vision. Over everything, yeah. so perfect strength, yeah, perfect yeah. vision, and he represents, you know, all all of this stuff, and he comes forward yeah, and takes yeah, the scroll. Right. Amazing, it's stunning. Yeah, amazing. And so, what this means is, is that final righteousness can be done on earth. Yeah, um, there can be final salvation and final judgment. You know, so everything. So we're going to see two things happening here. Uh, we're going to uh, see. God being faithful to his covenant to his people and faithful to his promise to bring final reckoning on the earth. And this is able to happen now. So in a sense, what is going to unfold now in the book of Revelation is the unfolding of these seven seals. Yeah. So it's the it's like this deed 
this final will and testament is going to be now be unfold. Think of the unfolding of a scroll. But so what we're going to have is the breaking of each of these seven seals, yeah. which is going to then allow for the final um, implementation of yes. this plan. Okay. Yep. Yep. Now this is where the, the, we get some structural things. It's worth explaining this in the book of Revelation. We can have three sequences of seven. This is how the re- revelation is structured. We're going to get seven seals, okay? We're going to get seven trumpets, trumpets. and then we're going to get seven, seven bowls. bowls, okay? Now, the seven, and th- this is how it works. And they sort of, they <clears throat> some of them sit within, within yeah, each they, other. They, and they, they do sit within each other. Yeah. They're like these babushka dolls in yes. a sense. In this sense, that the seventh of the seventh seal basically is the seven trumpets. Yes. Okay, and so the, the seventh seal contains the seven trumpets, yeah. and the seventh trumpet contains seven bowls. A- announces the seven bowls. Yeah. Okay, so you, so what that achieves then is an intensification effect. As we move towards the end, you're going to get this intensification effect, and then you've got some really important interludes in there. But that's basically the the structure of this. So um, uh, that's what the Lamb is able to implement now. Yeah. This plan, yeah, it's a, 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 it's amazing. It's a, just, a, like it never ceases to amaze me. And, and interesting, the other thing, the other thing throughout this, um, uh, and and we'll look at this. I uh, will finish up today, but as we move on, one of the things that we'll note is the significance of the prayers of God's people. I'm glad you this. brought that up. I was about to bring that up because we we see here that the, uh, the you know the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one of them, this is where we get this corny cartoons of, of, of people sitting on clouds and having harps yeah. because it mentions that the 24 elders mm. have some sort of musical instrument yeah. like a harp, yeah. right? Uh, <laughs> you know, whether they're the guitars, yeah. there's a banjo in there. I don't know. There's some sort of stringed in- instruments there that the elders have. Um and they have bowls. Is it bowls? The gold bowls full of incense, yeah. which are the prayers of God's people. Yeah. So the idea here is that here they are before the throne. They're holding these bowls. Remember, they're representing. Um, they are representing God's people. Yeah. Before the throne, in that yes. sense, not not in a mediatorial role, no. but that they are, in a sense, they stand for these people, and they're holding these bowls of incense. And, of course, incense, and as it says here, are the prayers of God's people. We're going to yeah. see this again through the book of yeah. uh, Revelation. So everything that's going to unfold is going to unfold in response to the prayers of God's people. That's mm-hmm. how this is depicted. There's, we're going to see in one stage a picture of incense going up and the judgment coming down. Like there's a sense of direct yeah. response of God to this. So... Um, so everything that God is going to do is going to do in response to these prayers, which I think underscores the importance of prayer in the unfolding of God's plan uh, in I, the world. I mean, it's like, you know, if we pray, we win. It's that that picture that victory comes through prayer. And 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 re- again, this, this is the I'm, I'm sort of looking through everything through the lens of the church at the moment, <clears throat> and realizing yeah. I'm not just by myself yeah. out here. Seeing the twenty four elders before God. Yeah. Made me again go. Okay, the church is important. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, uh, that's right. We're we're important here. We're before God, right? The Lamb is the mediator. The Lamb sits between the elders and God, right? 
and the elders are responsible in some way. We don't know, and again, responsible might not be the right word, but yeah. they are they play a part, like yeah. you say. It's not we're not praying to the elders, we're not praying yeah, to saints right. or yeah. anything like this. We're praying to God, but in some way, the church is is playing a part in bringing this incense of prayers yeah. to God before God. I was just like, whoa. Yeah. And it alludes to that here in verse from verse 9, you know, and they sang a song, yeah. new, a new song saying, you are worthy to take the scroll to open its seals because you were slain and with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God and they will reign on the earth. So in other words, these, these are the priests. And see, what Revelation is covering is not just the distant future. This is a way of talking about now. Okay. So this is actually unfolding now. So what we have, Revelation is basically a heavenly view, not just of a few years right at the end of history, but it's a heavenly view. And certainly it does do that. Yes. Uh, it certainly does do that because it portrays final judgments. Amen. But it also is giving us a heavenly view of where we stand now, of this age. Yeah. So there is this sense in which, because of what Jesus has done, we have been raised up into this priesthood. People from all nations have been drawn into a priest. We are a kingdom of priests. Every Christian is a priest of God. Um, so this is this ties in with this prayer theme because the role of a priest is to mediate, mm. is to mediate to stand between God and a needy world and a broken world and mediate something. And we do this through prayer. Okay, so this is the importance of this. So now, you know, God's plan is here because of what the lamb, because the lamb has been slain, the the people of God can now be victorious because they can have this priestly ministry. Yeah. And it just, it keeps... Well, you know, it's like a symphony or an yep. orchestra that you think it builds to a crescendo and it can't get any better, and then it builds higher yeah. and higher and it higher does. and higher. And, and speaking of which, when you go as you go through the songs, and we'll finish with this. Sorry, I know you want to finish, yeah. um, but it's interesting when you get to the end. You know, it says here in verse at the end of verse thirteen, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be praise, honor, glory, power forever and ever. So, in other words. God and the Lamb now are identified together. There's only one God here, and yet the God who is worshipped here is the throne of God and of the Lamb. So they're identified here. Yeah. Lest we think that this idea of the deity of Christ is some fourth century invention. No, no it's already here. Well, I mean, it's, it's already there in, yeah. in the other New Testament, Testament documents. Yes. But it's here explicitly as well in the book of Revelation, in that all of this worship is going to the throne of God and the Lamb, and they're identified as the one. Amazing, amazing. We go from, and it's a beautiful sequence, we go from the elders, the twenty, this representation of the church singing worship to God, right? Then, once you think that can't get any more beautiful, John notices that there are, Countless numbers, million, thousands yeah. of millions, myriads of myriads, whatever the translation yeah, yeah. is, uncountable numbers of angels singing with them. Yeah. Right? And you go, oh, my goodness, heaven has joined in. But then you think, okay, can't get any better than that. Every creature in heaven and earth 
Yeah. <laughs> Join yeah. in everybody in the sea, everything in the sea, all the animal, all creation yeah. sings with them by the end of it. And it's like, oh my goodness, yeah. what, a, what a vision. And this, this enters into, you know, a, a vision of Hedge. Now, my question to you, Matt, as we wrap, wrap things up for this episode, and I'm just, you know, uh, I, I sort of want to camp out here for the rest of the mm-hmm. rest of the episodes because it gets, it gets so dark. <laughs> from yeah. here on in, it gets so dark. From here on in, um, in in one in one very true sense, I was I was discussing this with somebody the other day, and and it was almost like you know you trying to use modern you know language to make someone interested in in an ancient book like the Book of Revelation. Mm. I, I I ended up going down the rabbit hole of saying. Because this person was into conspiracy theories and into into different things, right? And there's conspiracy theories about there. Like right now, there's conspiracy theories about time machines and all this different type of stuff. And, and you know that there's yeah, nothing I, that I love I, more I, than I, a I know you love it. <laughs> but even in science fiction, I mean, it's a rich it's a rich vein of science fiction is time travel and time machines. And I started talking to him about saying, "Well, I believe in time travel." You know, type of thing, and they were like, "Well, what are, you, what are you talking about?" They got really excited. Like, I too am a fellow conspiracy theorist. And I said, "No, no, God took John from yeah. ninety AD, yeah. not ran about ninety five yeah, yeah. AD, to some point in the future, yeah. a, a, an actual date in the future, yeah. and showed him all this stuff that would happen, and then sent him back, and he wrote it down. And so we are living in this meta." Mm. Period. It's like it's like those the issues that you have in science fiction science fiction books of oh I can't meet my previous self because yeah. of this or you know don't let them know what happens in the future because you're going to split the timeline and all that type of stuff. It was like actually no, we've got the end of the timeline here. Yeah. I know what happens in the yeah. future. Here's a song that is sung in the future that was written in the future. But God decided to break the for, break the wall of time mm. and take that song and we sing it today. Yeah, and, uh, <laughs> they're being sung in a sort of timeless, eternal zone. And, yeah. we, and we've entered into this eternal yeah. zone. We've entered into yeah, this that's other right. dimension. Yeah, yeah. And that's as right. I was talking, I got really excited. Yeah. <laughs> I got excited because I had never thought of yeah. it like that. So it's true. He's, he is looking into the future, but he's looking that through a very symbolic lens. Oh. You know, I think we've got to be careful that he. It's not just a. He's not just mapping out the future. Um, in in the sense of giving detailed historical events. Now, this is from a heavenly perspective, and it's being viewed through a kind of symbolic lens. There's almost this. There's still a finitude to the vision, even though there's to to allow for the fact that the real thing is probably beyond anything that we can conceive exactly. in some senses. Yeah. 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 So, so, and, and my final question for this one: as we look into this, we read through chapters four and five again, and we love to meditate on these two beautiful, beautiful little chapters in in the book of Revelation. Are we to read them? I mean, there is some beautiful symbology in this, mm. but there's obviously some literalness in this as well. Like, there literally mm. is these people, and there's literally is yeah. these creatures. You know, there literally is a god, and there literally is you know type of. Thing. How do we? Well, it know? depends. Yeah, it depends what you mean. I mean, it's hard to, like, yes, uh, this is what John saw. Yeah, um, and it, like it's what Ezekiel saw, but but it's 
they are visions that he is given that declare something. So it's like the, these creatures covered in eyes all around. And, you know, do there really exist creatures that are covered in eyes in every part? Look, I, you know, I think this is symbolic of something. Okay. Uh, and, and I, and invariably, um, that's the way that that's interpreted because, because, the elements, when you put them together, they actually all declare something. There's actually a message element to all the different bits. It's not just, oh, I just described it because that's the way that they are. Like we're going to be, you know, that when we go to heaven, we're going to be living in, you know, some land with creatures covered in eyes all over. No, that actually declares something about the vision and the view of heaven, the the sort of omniscience of God and so forth. You yeah. know, so there's a there's a theological element to that. So, but couldn't there be? I mean, there could be a, a the the universe symbology mythology. This glory, this wonder, meets an actual physical being in a spiritual it plane. It could be. Yeah, I'm hoping for the latter. I want <laughs> okay, the, uh, sure. the crazier it is. I want that to yeah. be. I want to. It's turn- just the more the, the, the more that the different elements do actually symbolize things yes, and characteristics I, of God. I understand. The more that. it looks like um, symbolism. Symbolism. It's like I'm. I'm this is all pictures that are, are tr- pictures of things that really are yeah. true, yeah. but mediated through this kind of slightly two-dimensional symbolism. It's like a two-dimensional um, version of what is a three-dimensional reality. Let's put it that way. Oh. So there's a connection in that sense, maybe. I'll, 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 I'll give you that. I'll give okay, you that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> now listen, Good. listen. We're about to enter. Now, depending on how you how you you know interpret different things, chapter six starts off what some people would call you know the tribulation you know type of thing. This time of tribulation on earth, and whatever you, you know, not, not 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 mapping out future plans or anything like that. But Matt, we're we're about to start reading. Yeah, I I, I would say in some senses the seven seals uh, would cover a lot of elements of this history because it talks about conquest and anyway I will talk about that in we'll the next episode the my point my point but being- I don't think we're skipping right away I don't necessarily think I think we're we're looking at this whole age right now okay. initially. Yeah. Well, we're going to get into that into the next episode yep. in two weeks' time. Yeah. Over the next two weeks, we're going to be reading, you know, through chapter six, seven, eight. We're going to talk go, about the four horsemen of the apocalypse. Right. It gets. Then my point being, yep. we, we go from the glory of heaven to this, you know, to the crystal sea, to chaos being totally yep. subdued, subdued, and there is perfect order, yep. perfect everything in its place. It is perfect, and then all of a sudden, we get these nightmare visions. Oh, yeah. Right. Ha- prepare us, Matt, for what we're about to enter into. Yeah. Well, the key idea throughout this is that God is saying to these beleaguered Christians who are suffering so much evil that evil is going to implode on itself. It's going to it's going to compound. You know, it's going to come to the surface more because why? Because God's going to judge it. So there's this sense in which he's saying to these Christians, listen, let it come to the surface. Let it rear its head. Let it do its let it do its worst because as it comes out into the open, God is going to judge it out in the open. And so there's throughout this a sense of victory, even in what that seems to them like something like losing, yet God says to them, Remember the promise throughout the letters, whoever is victorious, like hold on, remain faithful, don't compromise. If 
you do, you will be victorious because in the end, God wins. Wow, that is all I can say. The book of Revelations, chapters 4 and 5. What an amazing, powerful scene that is. The holiness of God, a scene from heaven. Hold on to that feeling because I tell you what, in the next couple of weeks, we are entering into the darkest time. We're going forward into our time with a time machine into the future to the end of the world, the apocalypse. We're going to be reading all about that. We're heading into the tribulation. We're heading into the four horsemen. All of the uh, all of the judgments upon the earth. We're heading into with the book of Revelation. There is so much here. So make sure you've got your copy of the Thrive Daily Reading Guide. You can get that at thrivetoday.tv. Thrivetoday.tv. Well. I'll see you in a fortnight. Remember to subscribe to Thrive Perspectives as well. We'll see you next time on Thrive Deeper. Thanks for listening to this episode of Thrive Deeper. Matthew and DJ really appreciate the questions and thoughts about what you're reading in the Bible as you go through it with Thrive. Our home on the internet is thrivetoday.tv. You can contact us, ask questions, see all of our resources and much more at our website, thrivetoday.tv. The Thrive Today Network is on Facebook. Our Facebook page and links to our community groups are waiting for you. Just search and like Thrive Today page in Facebook now. Visit ratethispodcast.com slash thrivedeeper. If you appreciate what we do and want to help us reach more people, go to ratethispodcast.com slash thrive deeper. Until next time, our prayer is that these shows will inspire you to go deeper into God's word and thrive. This was another DJP.fm production.